Okay, we're here with Madeline. She knows his dedication. Madeline, what would you like to dedicate this episode to? Um, this one goes out to the one I love. <laughs> I love it. That's pure and simple. Okay, we're back with Madeline Carita. How you doing? <laughs> I told her I was going to get super giddy when you're on. Oh, thanks, thanks. I'm I'm happy. I, I, All right, so we have this is actually kind of a little bit loosely kind of like a Halloween special, mm-hmm. and I thought if I'm going to do a podcast on Halloween, there's only one person I would bring, and that was Madeline for Halloween. Woo! Yeah. It's kind of your Spooky. favorite. What's well, one of your favorite, right? Or is it? Oh, the it's favorite? the it, well. Okay, I was born on St. Patrick's Day, so that's the favorite. Okay. Um, the second. This is Halloween. Halloween is definitely my season. I'm not a Christmas person. I don't care about Thanksgiving. I am definitely a Halloween person. See, I, I I'm lived in here in minnesota all my life i don't like super hot but i don't like super cold i like a little bit of bite to my temperature so like 55 (laughs) degrees that's perfect for me so it's a little bit of bite to it not too much but yeah i like living in a terrarium i (laughs) i am a tropical creature and would like uh it to be always 85 degrees but nobody else will likes that people come to my apartment and they're just like it's tropic (sighs) <sighs> and I'm like, oh, 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 you need air conditioning. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's what you kind of grew up with, right? That's kind of, mm-hmm. so it's well, not, it's something you didn't have to acclimate to. It's your natural. Yeah, yeah. it's my, it's my natural temperature. Like okay. I'm acclimating to Minnesota though. And I've been here for a while. I don't know why I'm still getting cold, but um, I tried I, something yeah. called cryotherapy and that's fixed the cold for me completely. <laughs> Oh, it's like temperature, cold temperature therapy? Uh, Yeah, it is. It's uh, crowd therapy. I, uh, not to give a shout out, but you know, I guess I'm giving a shout out. I go to Serial Chillers in um, Richfield. And when you get there, you get inside of this, 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 this chamber that looks like something from the fly. Like you, now like, I'm nervous, oh, right? <laughs> like you open it and all this, like it looks like dry ice comes out. Like that scene with Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. And you get into it. And you're well. I'm in there for about three minutes, and they drop the tem- temperature. And you're in your you're in your underwear. All right. Uh, they drop the temperature to about a negative 245 degrees. Okay. All right. <laughs> but and then you're in that little egg pod thing. It doesn't, yeah. 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 You're in the little egg pod thing, and uh, it resets. Uh, it fixes my insomnia. It helps with cellulite. It supposedly brings your body almost to the point of death, and it makes your uh, immune system. Uh, just kind of jack it up a little bit. Yeah, it jacks up your immune system, or yeah. for some people, actually get it to start working. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, uh, uh, for for insomnia, are you kind of the person that just loves to crash, like a go go to I'm physically exhausted, or are you kind of like a decompressor, like to certain stages before you go to bed? Because um, like for for me, I'm a crasher. I will go until I can't do it anymore, and just go to bed. Where mm-hmm. my wife is a decompressor. She has little steps to do before she gets sleepy. Maybe watch her favorite show and everything like that. And I just can't do that. No, I'm yeah. I I'm trying to start doing that. A little bit of more decompressing. Yeah, yeah but I, I've been an insomniac since I was like six years old. And all my and um, half my family is like my brothers and sisters. If it's three o'clock in the morning, I know I could call my brother. <laughs> I know my sister's playing video games. I know my other sister is an uh, engineer, so she's probably building cars. Um, well, you and I both are creative people. We know that if, if I message somebody up like an idea for a story at 1 a.m., I'm not going to interrupt them. I kind of bet that they're going to be up. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. even that. It's the Internet. You can leave messages. It's like, um, it's yeah. like uh, you know, a little board. It's like a message board in high school. Like, right. just leave it there. They'll be back. Well, it is kind of true that they think insomnia is a little bit of genetic. Yeah. Yeah. It ha- like I definitely believe that because my um, dad is definitely in it. What was is definitely. I'm not gonna say was. He's still here. Um, he definitely is an insomniac. My mom is just like nine o'clock. I'm out. <laughs> if you're talking to her, she will start snoring on the phone. It does not matter. <laughs> you know. Yeah, just be quiet. I'm going. Deal with it, right? Yeah, yeah, she's just nothing you can do to stop that. But uh, yeah, most of my siblings and me are definitely insomniacs. I would think. 
it's a little bit more shared with me because I had trouble sleeping at night. But that's when you watch all your great horror movies. You're like, yeah. oh, I'll watch that. And that makes you kind of sleepy watching those. And my wife doesn't really how doesn't really can't put the dots together. Why is watching those make you tired? Now frighten me to sleep. But that's kind of almost like makes me I'm enjoying it because I watch horror movies at night. Then I'm like, oh, I can watch that and go to bed and mm-hmm. everything. So I'm scared of actual humans. I like anything in a movie I know isn't real. Yeah, right. I was like, no, I know that um, yeah. the the person that we dare not, dare not say, his, say his name five times, that's the one movie where I'm like, I'm actually never going to say uh, Candyman more than five times. You're not going to do it in the shower or in the mirror, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. not mirror ever. Like, that's one of those one movies where you're like, you know what? That might be true. That might be. <laughs> Better safe than sorry. I don't know about, the, I haven't seen the new Candyman yet. I'm kind of sad that I haven't. Um, but that was, I remember being so frightened as a little kid. And that I'm like, oh, good. Ah. I remember watching that movie with my grandmother. and Wait, you watch it with your grandma? Oh, yeah. yeah. My whole family is horror movie addicts. Okay. This is good. Like, both my parents are horror movie sci-fi people. My grandparents are horror movie, were, were, were horror movie sci-fi people. Yeah. Um, So, it's like, it's a tradition. My grandparents met on Halloween. They were married on Halloween. My parents met on Halloween. But that was a uh, the original Candyman. That was amazing. It was so scary. There's no yeah. way I realized there, there's a reason that like uh, <laughs> I, a child should not have been watching that. <laughs> but uh, my grandmother, like we had a mirrored basement in our house, and I remember my grandmother being like, uh, "Go get me some ice cream" in the middle of this movie, and she just knew. Like I was just like, "Okay." <laughs> And I just remember running down in the basement and then looking over at her mirror and just being like, oh my God, he's behind me. <laughs> and like those stairs seem like the longest, like the, right. the, these, you know, when you're like, I think I was maybe like six or seven and it was like the longest run yeah. ever, even though you're like, okay, this is, this is only like, <laughs> it's only 12 <laughs> stairs. But when you're a little kid, it's like the longest run ever. And you're so sure before you like close that door, something's going to go. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> that was the only time I've been scared. Everything else I was like. You know, I, I remember watching Night of the Living Dead when I was like six and being like, eh, 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 it's fine. Well, yeah, because that's more, that's kind of like the original of camp, right? Yeah. It's almost like you're supposed to like, oh my God, really? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's selling it like it's legitimate, but also you're supposed to like enjoy almost watching it. But it has serious social commentary to it. Oh, like, yeah, of course. Is... Like he knew, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Romero is no, uh, he's no dummy. Romero knew exactly what was up. And that is a necessary ending for it where they just shoot the mm-hmm. guy through the window. Oh, we got one. Yeah, mm-hmm. move on with our lives. Yeah. yeah. And you just think that like how, how, how that changed like horror in general. Yeah. Like a film where like, he, you know, they, they created weird shapes using cardboard cutouts. Yeah, you know, and they could talk about real like social issues about racism mm-hmm. and have zombies in it. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole basis of horror is at the core is talking about social commentaries. It's always is, and mm-hmm. it's always talking about. Well, some of them. Yeah. There's some some there's some horror movies where you're like, ah, just gore for gore fun. <laughs> gore for gore, like you know anything with Linnea Quigley, who I love. Um, oh my god, yeah. But you know, she did she did those like movies on USA Up all night. Right. And yeah. like, I shouldn't have been watching that either as a kid. <laughs> like, I remember, like, I wasn't even in high school watching these things. <laughs> like, Gilbert Godfrey and Rhonda Shear. Yeah. Like, I think my I think my first crush was actually on Rhonda Shear. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody, I won't forget. Yeah, that's totally us. Yes, I think everybody, right, especially your age, like, saw that up all night. Yeah, it, up for me, all night. For me, it was Elvira, because if you watch Elvira. Oh, I oh, love yeah. Elvira. I yeah. just, she was just, like, a little bit before... I was yeah. like before I was able to like kind of be cognizant because I, I remember I was still watching this stuff when I was like six or but seven. The, the, she, when she came on, it's almost like she's talking to you personally, even though it's on TV. But she's like, "Hello, darling." Today oh, she's hilarious. This, yeah, she the, just, I mean, Rhonda Shear and her; these women were not only gorgeous, they were hilarious. I know. <laughs> and it seems now we have like a whole separation of that. <laughs> like, like they were beautiful, funny women. Right. That kind of commanded a, a genre that's definitely like male dominated. I think that's very. I've had this conversation with many other people, mm-hmm. and I think horror at it, at its core. And I've talked about this many times. Episodes, mm-hmm. if listeners have regular listeners know, at the core, it's feminism. It's a point of feminism. Whether if you're attacking it or it's going to be the hero, at the core, all of them is feminism. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why Freddy Krueger. It's very 
slow, you know, almost like a dancing when he does it. Very with his hands, you know, very oh, yeah. feminine. But then there's also, but the, you know, yeah. the those films during the early 80s and late 70s were definitely like, don't have sex, kids. You know, right? This moral, this moral message is kind of really weird of like don't have sex or you're gonna die right yeah don't have sex or you're gonna die which i mean you know uh, i mean during the early 80s that was definitely a real possibility yeah why does does jason care right why does jason give a crap you know (laughs) why does freddie care and like we definitely had the puritanical um female the female hero yeah that's the one thing that did emerge from that was the puritanical brown-haired female hero well, in the, the of course, like to the end, of the eighties, there was uh, Pinhead, but Pinhead in the book is supposed to be Andromeda, have very feminine features, mm-hmm. like a blend of masculinity and feminine. That's the reason in the movie he's wearing a skirt and he's mm-hmm. very almost like a dress, almost. Yeah, and Clive yeah. Barker is queer. I think yeah. that's the one thing that people keep forgetting. Clive Barker is a very he's a gay. very gay man. Yeah, I think that's the whole point of Hellraiser because he's grown up Catholic and that was a way to exercise him. Yeah, exercise those demons of Catholicism. I remember yeah. I went to Catholic school, but um, I remember I was dating somebody when I was like uh, eighteen, and he was eighteen, and he went to go visit Clive Barker, and Clive Barker was just like, "Here goes my hotel room." And that was the first time I was just like, oh, he's actually like, this is like, you know, in theory, you're like, oh, yeah, 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 he's gay. And then like when he actually hits on somebody, you're like, whoa, <laughs> he, oh, he's a real deal. That's just not rumor. That's not something I've just read from yeah. a, a biography. But that, but Hellraiser, that is absolute Catholic horror. It is. It is absolute Catholic horror. That's Catholic Gothic horror of just flesh and body parts and blood and yeah because the because you know the way the stepmother is seen when she's cheating you know yeah. she's stripped of her flesh eventually yeah. she's actually the real monster in the book. oh yeah well i mean frank is a monster like let's never let's never frank, forget yeah. frank is a true monster yeah. like frank is i mean frank is a bdsm freak in that yeah i'm really excited for the remake me too me yeah. too and there's so many people who are like oh my god and i was like you've obviously never read the comic books you know, they're like, why are we changing? Que-? And I was like, no, 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 no. We're actually sticking to Clive Barker's original, I- excuse me, original I- idea. You know, there's a lot of things like, um, like Nightbreed is one of my favorite movies. Like Clive Barker is always going to be up there or ch- or people under the stairs. You know, yeah. he does make social commentary films. And I, I think, think Nightbreed is one of his like almost like like for Lucas for Star Wars. Nightbreed is for him. He's always nitpicking and rearranging, altering, changing things and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. always it's never going to be a complete thing. He always wants to rework and everything. But he, yeah, it's kind of those. I think for people who love Clyde Barker, it's a wonderful movie. But if you're like for an average movie, it's like, what is going on? Yeah, I mean, I think if you love Clive Barker and also, I mean, like that that movie is for the, the weirdos out there, like the people who like, you know, yeah. like, I mean, I'm a weirdo. Like I'm sitting here talking about in-depth horror. <laughs> Um, you know, that's the film that like for misfits and weirdos, like, you know, like myself, it was one of those things where you're like, oh, you're not weird. You're special. Yeah. You know, there was one scene that I think got me with a woman that turns into smoke. Um, talks in Nightbreed. About, yeah. In Nightbreed. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's a woman that turns into smoke. Um, you know, and she's just talking about, uh, why society kind of outcasts them, but at the same time wants to be them. Yeah. Like you know, there's a whole scene where she's talking about the twelve, uh, the twelve tribes of Israel, and and why would you hate somebody that can turn into smoke? Why there's people that some of them could fly, and she goes at its heart, it's really it's 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 not hatred, it's jealousy, not jealousy. It's 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 you wish you could be those things, which is kind of like Envious the X Men theme. It's you know, yes, it's almost play upon, almost like vampire. Everybody wants the idea. Oh, that's very seductive. But you think about it, it's kind of horrendous to be in a vampire. But it also sells it very well. All the it time. sells it very well. Like yeah. if we were still selling the Nosferatu vampire, nobody would sign up for that. Yeah. But we're selling Tom Cruise. We're selling sexy vampires. Queen right. of the Dam, Aaliyah, like silky clothes, and you know, tux, or no, yeah. or there, or no clothes. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you read Anne Rice, yeah. Yeah. yeah if you read Anne Rice. Um, <laughs> You know, like there's there's the bathtub scene out of uh, Queen of the Damned, which the movie didn't do that great, but everybody's just like, yeah, my sexuality is that bathtub scene, and it's like <laughs> you're not hardcore enough for that, because <laughs> it's a, it's a, they're like in Roses and Blood, dog. Like, I don't know, it's very like the idea of the vampire has definitely gone from like disgusting, grotesque ghoul peasant to like 
you know, it's a um, commentary. Uh, it was a commentary on the aristocracy of Western Europe. Yeah. Like that's what it started as, as these that's beautiful vampires right. and demons. Yeah. And it could sell it very well. Well, mm-hmm. I have to mention, what have you been busy with? Because you've been super, you're doing a lot of commercials. I'm doing tons of commercials. So, I mean. <laughs> if you can find, we'll find, yeah. But I don't know if my mother appreciates me being in my underwear this much on the internet, but, um, but they pay really well. Hey, but it works for you. Right. There's an old, I always say it, if you can do it and people are like, wow, instead of like, what? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I can sell underwear, but if you can, holy crap, do it, girl. Do it. Do it. Sell it. Sell it. Sell it. I have still have no clue how I'm I'm pulling that off. Um, so just doing a lot of commercials just for a lot of different brands, and it's really weird because I'm all over the board. Like, one day it'll be Disney. The next day it's just, like, Fredericks of Hollywood. Like, um... But I feel like, uh, not like not to brag, but I feel like that goes to my like ability to kind of chameleon into different things. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I'm right now doing a play. It is a very... Uh, people have walked out the play and never came back. Uh, but they got a reaction. But they got a reaction. And I mean, that's what I'm there for. Like, not to diss people who are doing the Christmas Carol or anything this year. But that's not something that I wanted to do. Like, I want... I mean, yeah, they're, they're, those are beautiful, wonderful classics. But for me, I want to do something that is going to elicit a reaction. Mm-hmm. I'm not always... Well, okay, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little dramatic. Um, I wanted to do something that would elicit a reaction. And this play right now is called... Um, the play... <laughs> even though the name of the play is called... Uh, is very reactive. Um, it's called White Privilege. Yeah. And I remember taking these flyers... <laughs> And trying to pass them out in my building. And the first thing the building manager did was look at them. And she was just like, um, yeah, we can't. Oh, but I hope the play goes good. Like, it was like this, like, lull in the conversation. Um, It's a very in-your-face play. It definitely talks about the uncomfortable truths of, you know, race relations, um, how people of color are treated in America. The uh, It's similar to, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Invisible Backpack. I've never heard of that. So the Invisible Backpack is supposedly this backpack of all the privileges that white people carry but can't see. Ah, like for you, you've always not for you, but you know, for a lot of white people, the cops. Well, you could probably, yeah. The cops have always represented, you know, like a, a Superman type figure coming to save the day. And for people of color, it's like this this boogeyman that shows up if you if you step out of line at any point in time. Like out of the woods, all of a sudden they're there. Yeah, all yeah. of a sudden they're there, and then you're like, and then that feeling of fear shows up, you know. Um, or just other things like the way you're treated, but because you've never seen the other side of the treatment, you don't know that those things are there. Right. You it's know? almost like my, my, pers- my you use yourself as a barometer, which is mm-hmm. people are always guilty. But if you use yourself as a barometer, you're not going to get it. Well, I've never experienced this. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That doesn't mean like I've never been to the Himalayas doesn't mean that they're not there. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, like it, it's it's a lot of things like, yeah, Santa's not there. Oh, sorry if any kids are listening. Hopefully not. We'll get into <laughs> I am not kid friendly. Um, well, that the whole Santa bit, you got eventually you're gonna have to sell reality to kids, yeah. right? I mean, it's fun to have the whole fantasy and everything, but eventually you're gonna have to have a sit about reality to children. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know what? I never really needed that wake up call. I realized that there was no Santa of like, I realized there was no Santa, but I also realized if I spilled that secret, I wouldn't get as many gifts. <laughs> Right. I you and I had the same dilemma, right? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. was just like, well, I guess for me the reasoning was is that I was raised by all black women. So, where would this chubby white guy come from in the hood where the only time I had ever seen, you know, I uh, you know, before going to right. Is he going to come how is he going to get there without anybody like there he is? Right. Yeah, yeah. or you know, and, and my only experience is being a little hood kid when I saw white people, it was the police. And they weren't all, they weren't welcomed, you know. They weren't like something that you're like, yay. Yeah. Or I had seen them, you know, when I had seen white people, they were either in my neighborhood buying drugs or hookers, you know. And it was like very limited interaction. And then it would be like, okay. In my mind, I remember being a little kid, being like, everything I've ever been given in my life was given to me by a black woman or a woman of color. So it just didn't make sense that all of a sudden this white chubby white dude would come out of nowhere once a year and be magic. I was like, well, everything in my life that's ever been handed to me was handed to me by uh, a black woman. <laughs> right. you know? 
I get, I yeah, yeah. Why would they not saying I'm not be a black woman? It would make sense for you, right? Yeah, like, yeah. like, where would this dude come from? <laughs> the people who have kept me alive, you know. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. you know, my me and the situation with my father has always been estranged. You know, my parents had me when they were teenagers, so he was never. They were never married. They were never together. So it was just like this kind of, uh, it's kind of uncle awkward. dude that yeah. would show up once in a while and be like, I'm your dad. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Thanks for the socks. <laughs> you know, but it wasn't like. I'm sorry to laugh, but it's just, yeah. You can laugh. Yeah. It's true. These are, yeah. if you don't laugh, you'll cry. And that's kind of like um, part of what happens in the white privilege too. Like it's a very intense play, but then there's moments where you kind of have to laugh mm-hmm. or even if it's an awkward laugh. You yeah. can laugh, you can cry, it can be an awkward laugh. Sometimes laughing is like the only release you can really get. Well, I always talk that when I criticize an art is there's two things. Is it memorable or is it unforgettable? And I think definitely you guys are going into the unforgettable. Like if you go see your play, you're never going to forget you're going to see that. And you're going to get a strong reaction. And I think people are hesitant to have that reaction, especially even watching movies. They want something to be enjoyable, even like horror movies. They want something even they can rewatch and have the experience and have fun. But there's certain horror movies that are disturbing that I really enjoy, but I don't think I want to go back into them. Oh, yeah. There's so many. Like, I'm never going back into the Poughkeepsie tapes. Yeah. Never going back to the Poughkeepsie tapes, y'all. I think one of my one of my fun my, my, my fun experiences, I went, okay, I won't say fun. That's not the right word. But one of my testaments enjoying horror movies, I got to see Gaspar Noir's Irreversible in the movie theater. Wow. And the, the theater manager came and said, okay, I'm at this point where anytime you walk out, I'll give you a refund. <laughs> and there was like 10 other people in the theater, and I was the only one that stayed and digest the whole contents of that wow. movie. And if you know Irreversible, it is very disturbing movie. There's no monsters in it, but the reactions of how people treat each other is a long duration of Monica Bellucci being raped in the airport. I've that, heard of that. Yeah. I've heard of that. Even though I do love me some Monica Bellucci, that is one film that like I definitely could not go to. Like once I read what it was about, as much yeah. as I love me some Monica Bellucci, yeah, um, I was like, no, I can't real. do it because it hits a point though. Now, like there is a problem in horror to a certain point. Um, with, just, right, absolutely disturbing. Yeah, like like Irreversible, and then there's movies that were like uh, Antonio Banderas and Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. Oh, I just you watched know? him in The Skin I Live In, and that was disturbing. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no shock, there's no jump scares, there's no blood, there's no screaming, but that's horrific what he did. He's uh, hor- He is a villain. He, yeah. he makes a great villain, because in Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, he's a villain, and it explores Stockholm Syndrome. And it's the horror of Stockholm Syndrome. Oh, my God. It's the skin of living is almost like the same thing. Yeah, he's been doing that kind of theme for a while now, which, yeah. I mean, I get it. Time Me Up, Time Me Down was, it was, it was a lot to digest because I was hella young watching these things. Um, and he's been doing that for a while. But then there was always, the, you know, movies like Boxing Helena. And it was just like, just yeah. it just hit a point where I was just like, okay, I cannot watch any more Spit on Your Grave theme films. I can't do this anymore. And I feel like that's also why I, I started gravitating towards um, creating my own horror movies. But we can talk about that later. <laughs> sure. Right. I think, well, when you do writing, are you kind of do it at night? We talked about that you had a little bit of insomnia, but do you do mostly your writing at night? I do most of my writing at night. I didn't write the last horror film um, that I produced. Uh, it was, it's called Ouroboros. And oh. if I ever get a tattoo, it's going to be Ouroboros. Yes. Yeah. You should do it. I mean, I might get the Ouroboros tattoo at this point. Um, but the anybody first, didn't know, it's pretty much a snake eating its tail. Yeah, it's a snake eating its tail, which I, I'm not going to go into details of the film, but like, it's definitely a social commentary, but I didn't write it. Um, it was written by a screenwriter named um, Ben Curry, and he'd rather die than, than, than get on any mic to talk about it. Well, I think writing, we'll talk about your own writing is tough. Because you want the writing to speak for itself. Yeah. yeah. You do. You do. And then he's this, this he's a fairly like private person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I am actually the opposite. I am the <laughs> everything I feel is probably on the internet. I I do not I do not own any shame. <laughs> but there's there's no problem with that. I think people like, oh my, you're, you're a writer, but you're a little bit guarded. There's something wrong. Or you're open. Too, you're too open. There's something wrong with that. The hell with that. It, this, whatever you're comfortable with, sharing. Yeah, whatever whatever helps yeah. you in your creative process is what's really important. I uh, give out too many million dollar ideas. 
that's my problem. Well, I mean, if you're not going to move them, I mean, the thing is that with the million dollar ideas, sell them. Because right. that's really what happens in the end. Like in the end, but I like, give them out to free. Because like it happened on New Year's Day, and I was like, "What about a movie where everybody wakes up in the apartment on New Year's Day, and somebody's dead, but they all got they all forgot their memory. They don't know what happened last night. So one of them is a murderer. They don't want to call the cops and all this stuff because you don't know who did what. You know, did what? And uh, somebody's so. like, "You should write that story." I go, "I have the idea. I don't know." Or how about this? Blade Runner meets Great Catsby. How about a, an, oh, an android fun. that fits into the whole aristocratic lifestyle? And then you have a Blade Runner trying to blend into that Great Catsby. Again, it's like the same thing. Love it. Love it. I mean, that kind of, you know what? In Blade Runner, there is that kind of aristocracy when you, um, what's her name? When you deal, Sean Young. When you deal with oh. the Sean Young character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, if you didn't read the book, you didn't know that having real animals is very expensive. Mm-hmm. So they make fake animals. If you didn't really, that's a subplot in the movie that I didn't really talk about. Like, that's a fake snake skin. I made that. But if you had real animals, like the person that runs the corporation has a real owl. Yeah. That's if you have real owl, if you have real animals. Real animals, it's really expensive, right? You're balling out of control. I don't know. I would, I would prefer a robot animal. <laughs> I'd prefer the robot. Well, they're not going to, you have to clean up their mess all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you got to feed them. Like, if you had a cat that just, like, always is just, you didn't have to actually take care of. Like, <laughs> I think that's yeah. probably the same reasoning like guys have when they buy sex robots. It's a girl that you don't actually have any responsibility to. All right, you don't have to talk to them. You don't have to. Um, I mean, but that feels almost that that feels so dystopian. Right. I mean, yeah. granted, it's probably a lot more drama free, but it feels just so dystopian. It feels empty a little bit. It is, yeah. but I mean, there's a bunch of people in this world that are kind of a little empty, and it wor- would work for them. So with right. White Privilege as a play, is it still going? It is. We're going till November 7th. All right. Um, where can people, if they want to see it, where can they people go and find? Um, let me see. It is at, let's see. You could just type in White Privilege at whiteprivilege.cheaptics, okay. T-I-X, dot com. And they can find out when they're showing and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so. I mean, I make no mistake. It is definitely an intense Intense, intense play. Um, the funny part is that we're performing it in churches. We're not on stages. We're in these like very intimate church settings. That might be a reason why people have a tough time digesting because you're really doing some heavy social commentary in an environment that people think is a sanctuary. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, and, it's, and it's weird. Like, uh, I went to Catholic school, so I don't care about cussing in church. <laughs> But I'm with a bunch of people who have not. And, and I mean, for a lot of the actors, um, well, we're all doing wonderful jobs. They're all amazing. You know, some of the actors are like, I can't believe I'm saying this in church. And for me, I'm like, I went to Catholic school. There's few things I have not done in church. You know, that sanctity has been lost a long time ago. Well, I grew up Catholic, too. It's almost like you tell kids, don't do this, don't do this. It's like, okay, I'm going to try to do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Here's a list of things you don't do. My family's not Catholic. It just presented the best education. Right. The best education where I happen to be from um, was the Catholic school. The best education, like, my, my family definitely had reared me to be like, okay, you're going to go be a doctor or a lawyer or, or any of that. And that's a long story. <laughs> that's another long story. But, um, you know, I was kind of reared more to be a doctor or a lawyer. So it was always important to be, for me to go to the best schools. Sure. Even though I had to come home in a Catholic school uniform through the hardest hood. That's got to be awkward as hell. Oh, I, could, I got hands though now. <laughs> I got hands. <laughs> uh, like, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I got hands. <laughs> And I had to develop those real quick because I'm definitely more. Of, I'm. I realize I'm definitely more of a sensitive person, even if I like have to be a tough person. But I'm definitely more of a sensitive person. Well, we always, especially for if you do horror writing. Yeah. I think you have to know sensitivity, but you have to know harsh too, because yeah. that you're gonna put that in your characters. I know too many times I've read too many scripts where people play safe, where they don't want to venture to write harsh characters mm-hmm. or something like that. I just watched Promising Young Woman. Ooh. And that I loved it because she does every every step she does breaks my heart. Where I go, please go this way, and she does not do it. Please do this, and she does not do it. And that's where you want to do with a writer is you want to have a character mm-hmm. that's going to break your heart and go the where you don't want to do as a writer. I don't want this to go there, mm-hmm. but she's going to go there, and you're going to have to write. Well, that we can't out. make movies about people who make all the right choices all the time. 
that's that. not interesting. Yeah. No. Like yeah. the perfect person is not an, uh, the perfect being is not that interesting of a character. No. Like if you make all the right choices all the time, what is left for your audience to be like, no, don't run upstairs, <laughs> you know? And I used to be that person like, why don't they just run up the stairs? But you know what? I have seen at least one film where they made all the right decisions and it still kind of didn't You're work. doomed, right. You're still doomed. You're still doomed. So, I mean, yeah. that there's a certain beauty to that story too, but like we want yeah. to find the characters that make the wrong moves and then at the moment, in this moment of redemption at the end, make the one right move that saves the day. That's why I love Nightmare on Elm Street when yes. when she goes up the steps and is still like it's like that. And it's like use, you just ran by the door, homie. If she goes up the steps, but it's still slowing her down with all the like the steps are like gluey or whatever. I don't know what they did like oatmeal. Yeah. Still make her slug it like you really want to go up the steps. I'm going to still do it. All right. Go ahead. Yeah. And it'd just be like the door's right there, though, dog. <laughs> like it's right there. It's open. You could literally just what? What? I mean, yeah. she does scream out the door. Um. Yeah. Like Nancy. But you know what? Nancy is the... But Glenn breaks her because he does the wrong thing all the time. Yeah. Stay awake. And he doesn't stay awake. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it's impossible. Like, you know, staying awake for days. Right. Well, I got to ask you for an insomniac, right? Yeah, I have insomniac. So like three days? Yeah, that's nothing. I do that on my... I could do that standing on one leg. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it just makes sense though. You know, these are normal people, normal teenagers... Because, you know, that, that kind of makes it a lot more um, interesting. But if you scream, if you're watching a horror movie and as an audience person, you're shouting at the movie, that means you have an emotional investment in it. Oh, yeah. That means you are invested in the movie. And that's what I'm getting reaction out of you, even though you're like, that's stupid. Well, you're, you you're still getting the reaction. And I think like with the film that, um, that I, I produced coming out i think it's gonna give people a reaction i think you're gonna scream at the tv i think you're gonna be like oh my god you know and it's i very had it has elements of the audition i don't know you know for people who don't know what the audition is it is a great asian horror film um i think we've been sleeping on japanese well we had that little pop-up of japanese horror with a grudge things like that early 2000s they were running the show pretty much and all good horror movies are coming from asia yeah, and the Korean like, but then Korean horror is amazing. Yeah, well, you know? they don't have rules, right? I mean, anybody can be a victim from an infant. To oh a child. yeah, there's no rules. Yeah, you know, like I, like there's the kingdom. There's um, oh let's see, yeah, like there's so many. There's no rules. There's right. Train to Busan. There's zero rules in that. Right, like I love that little girl. She is just perfect in that movie. Yeah. Oh God, <laughs> at the end, like that is the one movie. We're like, I literally just like, I was so exhausted. I just started bawling. Like I just started crying at the end. And I was like, how did I, what? How did I end up on this adventure where I'm like sobbing at the end of a movie about zombies? Yeah, it's very action oriented too at the end. It is, it is. And then at the very end, when she starts singing and you're just like, (laughs) you're so exhausted from this ride. And then the, the dad that, you know, at the end, turns into a realizes that he becomes a real dad at the end you know yeah. it's From all the testaments of him right yeah i i was so much wanted to hate that movie because i was so exhausted with horror zombies i wanted to hate that movie so bad and i couldn't and i'm now i'm mad that i could not hate that <laughs> like i really like this movie god dang it i mean oh, zombies yeah. are always going to have a place i think in our society but yeah i'm exhausted with zombies but that was you know what if that was the tail end of the zombie craze there you go. It, Our, I mean, it, zombies will be back. There'll be zombies in the future. I know. They're, yeah, they go through like a cycle. There'll be automatons and all that. <laughs> Automaton zombies. Um, <laughs> okay, so perfect time to take a break because uh, after the break, Madeline's going to talk about um, her story that she's working on. Cool. So, To remind everybody, I'm on YouTube. Kyle Gothi and I are on YouTube. It's Kyle, Nick on film. Uh, We have now added a show. We now add Scary Saturdays. So every Saturday, we'll promote a scary movie and critique it. And you can find every episode on YouTube. Kyle, Nick on film. Check out the Patreon for some great options to tell us what to do. Please like and subscribe, and you get to see what it looked like. It's Kyle. Hey, everybody. This is Kelly Reynolds, and I'm the host of Boobies and Newbies, the podcast that asks novice romance readers to think outside the dick in a box. Join me for a new episode every Friday as we review romance novels with non-romance readers. 
from the sweet, loving fairy tale romances of the Highlands. Who cares about up against the wall by the fruit trees? Like, where's the dragon? Inside the belly of a dragon. To the naughty erotic threesomes with Navy Seals. Sex was a 10. I mean, you cannot get any better than this book. Come on, you guys. Really. We read it all. Check us out at Boobies Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. Listen to previous episodes on any podcast streaming platform. You can also support Boobies and Newbies on Patreon.com for lots of bonus booby content and early episode releases. We're back with Madeline, and we're just got to get a little bit. Madeline's not a gym class hero. No. <laughs> I like that song, though. I, that was a good yeah. time in music. I know. I know. Well, you were, because you have the two spectrums of students. One of them is just sit in the corner and just going to talk and hell with it. Yeah. Or you have that one that they think it's a contest where you're going to get all-American status and just oh, take yeah. it serious. Like, yeah. And I was the yeah. one that just didn't show up. Like, I was, I mean, yeah. I, I graduated uh, high school when I was about uh, 14 or 15. So for me, I was just like, I don't care. No, you right. It's nice to meet kind of those people because I, I, especially like you, because I had way too much fun in high school. I knew way too many people. I had a ball. Every day was a party for me with my friends. <laughs> I was Daria. <laughs> just like, get me out of here. Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah it oh was just God. like, Jesus Christ, oh I don't God. like any of you. Let me go, please, y'all. But I miss that of going to your locker in the morning and your friends are rehearsing her breakup letter. She's giving <laughs> 7 o'clock in the morning. Should I go a little more harsh? Should I do that? No, that's the right temperament. Yeah, okay. I'll totally break up before lunch. Yeah. And then, <laughs> did you break up with her? No, I didn't break up. I didn't. So I miss all that. But anyway. I don't know. I, I just didn't. I really didn't participate in any of that in high school. I was like very focused on getting the hell out. Right. Yeah. I love those people like get i'm done with this i was like oh prom gotta go don't care focused (laughs) so we're before uh break we're gonna talk about what you've been writing the ouroboros thing uh ouroboros ouroboros is i wish i was as good as a writer as this ouroboros story Mm. was i mean i'm a good writer um i've won a few awards for it but i feel like the ouroboros story was something that like it was very surprising um, that's something that could have this kind of, I guess, I don't want to say feminist, because you know, uh, it's a horror story. I, yeah, like, I, I don't think it say, has to be at the core of feminine, femininity has yeah. to be at the core of the horror. Of it. Yeah. I don't want to say feminist just because like, you know, I'm a brown woman and there's not a lot of intersectionality when it comes to like American feminism. Um, not anti-feminist, you know, feminism, but American feminism doesn't always include women of color, which is really weird. Well, you know what? Yeah. There are problems. There the there are problems even within the subsects of these groups that are meant to uh, break through those problems. Yeah, you know, because there's some things you just can't you can't completely divorce yourself away from everything. I think when even in movements, right. you know, like I, I agree, I had a chance to interview the head of the Black Panthers, and there was still you know there were still things about that that weren't like oh okay. Okay, that's good. Uh, but no, that's bad. Like you could see the interview on. Um, I have a. I was doing a late night television show. Yes, that's right. And you could see the interview on that. Uh, it's the Madeline Carita show. Um, but yeah, like, and for the horror movie, I was just really surprised that somebody who definitely is male wrote something that was such a, I guess a a um, commentary on feminism in America. Or feminism in general, right. on what our idea of women are. I think if you have to do a little more research, you can't just write it from a vacuum. You have to go out and talk to f- females before you write about it. Yeah, right? yeah. or research yeah. on Reddit. Re- I think this is a research editor. I think the person who wrote the screenplay for Purdy Woman was hanging around street hookers for yeah. months to get their, what it's like to be mm-hmm. um, a sex worker. Sex worker, right? And he wrote that screenplay, but it, not all the ingredients of that movie are into that story because what he wanted to do is write about a, a street hooker that gets 
all this money for somebody like it was supposed to be Richard Geard's character, yeah. which pretty much is buying and selling, Jerry gentrifying all this. Yeah, streets. True. Right, he's gentrifying the streets. So where she's she works. she's kind of monetarily connected to this person as pretty much taking away all that she likes. Yeah, all that she's yeah. But that's not the story they got. They got a, a modern Cinderella story instead. Cinderella story. But they kept the the woman that breaks your heart. She's a heroin addict. Or a, yeah. Julie Roberts' best friend. Yeah. yeah. But, but they Disney-fied that, it, whatever. Yeah. yeah, they Disney-fied it. Yeah. They're like, she's only been work. She's never done any sex work ever. This is her first client. And yeah. it just turns out to be Prince Charming. And it's like, that's not reality. That's not even, yes. Yeah. You know. So this, no- well, I want to know, what is the plot to the Ouroboros thing? Um, Can you or, talk a little bit about it? Ouroboros is a very is a not a very short film. It's a short film. Um, it involves a female serial killer. You know, They're, they do exist. They do exist. Now, yeah. do they get caught? No. Well, we know we know when female serial killers, it's a little more intimate, right? It's yeah. people really close to them, family members, mm-hmm. uh, coworkers. Where a lot of times, male serial killers do it's strangers. strangers. Yes. It's strangers. It's it's a it's a rage bloodlust thing for female serial killers. It's, it's a lot a, more methodical. I was just gonna right. It's a little more. Of, they do the tedious work, right? They do yeah, all the, they they do the do tedious all the... work. Like that's why we don't catch them. <laughs> that's that's why there's not a lot of female serial killers that have been caught. I mean, they they exist. They definitely yeah. exist. But I think a lot of the female serial killers are usually poisoners. You know, they're usually, they really don't do the loud weaponry, right? They're, no, they're, they're not loud weapon, weaponry. They're not really the hands-on. They'll poison you and watch you slowly, slowly just, yeah. Yeah, they're they're the, the type that poisons you. You know, and yeah. this one isn't necessarily that. This one definitely is a similar to the audition, like I said. Um, it is gory. But that is a very... She does the paperwork, right? She does the meticulous she does the work. Ma- yeah, she, she does. does the work. Like the audition is no joke. She's yeah. scared. She's frightening because she does the work. And that motivational drive. There's no mm-hmm. decoration of her apartment. There's just that garbage bag in the corner and the phone, and then that's it. Oh damn! <laughs> I feel like that's my apartment. <laughs> I don't have a lot in my apartment. There's not much going on in my apartment besides like a desk and a bed. <laughs> damn! But I do play the female serial. Killer and you go to auditions. And I go to auditions. <laughs> And I do play the female serial killer in this. Um, that's kind of I wasn't that wasn't necessarily the plan. Um, the writer had definitely had like the quintessential big giant like lug dude as the plot, and then I did a lot of case studies with people. Okay. And more people than not liked the idea of a female serial killer. Yeah, I think because but it's it's weird labeling when you can say serial killer, it's always a masculine. Yeah, it's yeah. a very masculine. I think the the I, I guess the writer didn't necessarily mean it to be a commentary on feminism. But the weird thing is, I think I think a lot of female serial killers. It's not like for celebrity, not like Zodiac who want to be famous. Yeah, not like Ted Bundy who just wants the to rage misogyny or whatever. Yeah, but it's like okay, I have a way to solve this problem. Yep, you're done. Like mm-hmm. promising young woman, she's a serial killer, but. You know, she's, 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 there's a certain single drive. Yeah. And it's, and it's almost like the, it's part of an intention. Like it's an intention where like we as the audience are just like, hell yeah. Right. Yeah. Kill him. Come, come. Like like Dexter. Right. Like Dexter. You can't help but root for Dexter. Yeah. You know, um. That's the other thing is, um, because we, well, we're doing an audio show, but Madeline's very attractive. Aww, but aww, we so always cute. have this notion. <laughs> we always have this notion that female circulars are just Warnos, like Eileen Warnos. Yeah, like, you're, you're rotten from the outside and the inside, right? But that's not reality. Just like you know, we have beautiful male serial killers. <laughs> or I mean, I guess Ted Bundy at the time was he he had that '70s look, or Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. But they always have that. But he looks so normal. I love when everybody. He was a nasty, but he looks so normal. It's like, oh, what yeah. do you, did you think they were going to He was He was a clown on the weekends, you know. Um, but that's how they, serial killers, kids thrive in their environment. Yeah, it, but if you walked around looking like this, like, ghoul, this thing, nobody would come near you. Everybody would just be like, oh my God, that dude, that dude's a serial killer. You yeah. know, like, you can't walk around life like that and think that, like, people are going to be like, that dude, that dude's an actual, a, a criminal, you know, because that's, yeah. That's just not how people hunt 
It's not how the hunt works. No, and uh, like the original drawings of Jack the Ripper, he was like somebody with a crooked nose and slurking, and mm-hmm. he looked very unhuman, like lanky and slimy and everything. But he probably looked very normal. Yeah, there's just no way like a normal dude. There's, there's no, no way. There's no way women would talk to this person in a bar. And no, go, right? No, there's just no way. I mean, most of his murders were uh, sex workers. Yeah. Which is usually the people who get the brunt of these, the rage and output of these like serial killers, um, not the, not the female ones. Um, a lot of female ones actually are sex workers. But I, I just, if you want to just stay on the subject, the thing about Jack the Ripper is killing was the start of it. It was the catalyst. Like a lot yeah. of killers is, like Ted Bundy, they would kill. And they decompress, deflate, because that's all they've been thinking about. They finally did it. Yeah. And now they can go back to work, you know. Ah, oh, they can <sighs> do that. Where Jack the Ripper, he killed, then he went to work. Like, oh, I want to see what your insides look like. And he's like, the last kill he did, he spent hours working on the woman, like, taking mm-hmm. parts of stuff like that. I mean, there's a grim sleeper that was just recently caught. Yeah. And that's even mind-blowing, because we don't normally have black serial killers. No. But he had been operating in Los Angeles for decades. Right. Well, that was the the FBI investigation where they came in to investigate, and they're like, I'm white. Look at all these people. How can I be a predator in this environment? This person has to be part of the environment. Yeah, because that's how it works. It has to be part of the environment. Few people, you know, a lot of serial killers. I don't know how we got on serial killers, but very, oh, because of the Ouroboros. Yeah. You know, serial killers hunt in environments that they understand. Right. The science of lamps, they covet what they see. Yeah, they cover what they see. Like, if it's a serial killer, like, you had to be like, oh, he's across the street. <laughs> you know, like, they, few people, like, criminals, like, like uh, not to bring that up, like, but, like, something that, like, we talk about in the play White Privilege is, you know, the idea of black-on-black crime. Um, that doesn't exist. The, nobody's driving miles to go and rob somebody at Whole Foods. You know, it's not black-on-black crime. There's only crimes of proximity. You know, and that's, you know, there's no white on white crime. There's no black on black crime. There are crimes of proximity. You go and you hunt in places that you understand and you know. Familiar with. You're familiar with. Like, if you got to run away from the cops, you don't want to be in a place you've never been. No. You don't. You want to know that, hey, if I hit that alley right there, I'm home. You know, if you want to know. Because you outside your environment, you almost have a panic attack. And I think Bill Burr talked about when he was dating a black woman from Harlem and she called him up. Hey, why don't you, why don't you come up and visit me? And he had to take the train and he, he's getting in panic attack as the street numbers are getting bigger and bigger. Then he gets out and here's this white guy, 10 o'clock at night in Harlem. Oh, I'm going to die. That could play a part in reversal. I think if Madeline goes to like anywhere, a white suburban. 10 o'clock at night, you're going to have the same emotions. Like, what the hell am I doing here? I'm- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you meet the people I talk to, I've been in some strange situations. <laughs> some super strange yeah. situations. But yeah, I mean. But we're breaking down the barrier that this notion that minorities always massacre each other. Yeah, yeah. there's no such thing. It's, it's only, um, or not even just people in general. People are, it's only crimes of proximity. You know, you're not, even if you're, let's say you're a white person, you're probably going to rob somebody fairly close to you. You know, you're going to rob somebody's house that you know their door is unlocked. You know, you're not going to go into unfamiliar territory. You don't want to make extra work for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Ted Bundy hunted in places where he was, you know. He hunted on the university. He was was at the university. And you pull that crap of having a collar on a leash and walk around oh can you help me find my dog or the broken arm yeah. you know these were environments that people hunt in so not just minorities but people hunt in the environments that they understand and know yeah. which and, is I want a good a good stat is there's now statistically less serial killers than there were in the 80s and 70s well so. also the internet and it's very hard to hide things from people now right yeah you know like it's a cell phone can fix would have fixed so many of these situations Right, right. Yeah, we would have caught the Zodiac probably if he had. Oh, was yeah. Doing he would have took, yeah. took a selfie. Yeah. We would have took a selfie and we would have tracked his, like, his his IP number, like, you yeah. know. But do you, do you like playing by the, the bad girl? I'm almost never the bad girl. So this is actually really fun. Like, yeah. my, my, my acting history is, like, I've played, I mean, I've played Satan, but this is more of a fun little Satan. You know, there have been fun, cute Satans. You know, um... I'm, you know, I've played a detective that turns into a monster to protect little girls. You know, like, I'm always, even if it's, like, the sci-fi wondrous character, I'm always the good guy. 
So it's been, I, I, you know, I had to create the role, like create and produce something where I'm like, I want to play a bad guy. Yeah. I think it was fun. It was fun. And I think for me, like, um, talking to people and getting the marketing together and just really thinking about this film, a lot more people, especially women who like horror, we need more. There are lots of women who like horror, but then there gets a point where I can't watch another spit on your grave. You know, like, can we be heroic? Like, can there be heroics without misogyny? Right. I was, I think if a next movie that I do, if it's a horror movie, I would totally love to have it all, almost entirely female crew. Mm -hmm. I think, and a female edited, even if I was a director, I would just immense because I think all horror is a core is feminism. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot more women enjoy horror movies than men do. Every time I go to Crypticon, I kind of look my unscientific eye. I always think it's like 60, 40. Oh yeah. Yeah. No women love horror. The problem is the horror that comes at an expense. Um, It's It's a little more exploitative. Yeah. It's more exploitative than like, and it hits a point though, as a modern horror fan where it's like, okay, (sighs) is this going to be another rape scene? Right. But that's why I, Descent is one of the best ones. Descent is a great film. Yeah. And there's no like random triggering rape scene all of a sudden. No, but it talks about womanhood. It talks about being phys- literally trapped yeah. in your goals. Um, peer pressure. Yeah, I don't want to do this, but everybody, let's do this. And yeah. a little more adrenaline junkies and to get away from your life. And starts with a huge traumatic trauma of a car accident. Yeah. And then all, of course, you have you have to monsters, but then know. there's the monsters. The monsters are it's almost like the monsters against the backdrop of the car accident. Yeah. You know, they represent. You know, they. I, I feel like the monsters represent things like PTSD stuff like that that goes along with this traumatic car accident. Yeah. You know, they represent things in these films, and I. I mean, Descent is a great film. I know it's got all claustrophobia. Oh monsters. yeah. Like I mean, uh, which one? As so below, as above is so below. That's a claustrophobic film for real. When they're going through the Paris catacombs, that's a claustrophobic yeah. film for real. I know. I still. I'm, let's go, if anybody says let's go to the catacombs, no, no, I'm not going to go to the. Catacombs. I I definitely dated somebody who went to the catacombs and they were crawling through it in the middle of the night. Oh. And when they got out, they're like, "I bought this necklace for you." When I got out of the like catacombs, and I was like, "Oh, that's so sweet." <laughs> you still have it? I do. It's right. absolutely beautiful. I never really wear it, but I have it. So. <laughs> it's yeah it's one of those things where i was like oh i'm jealous <laughs> so do you have a certain talking about horror movies and everything do you also watch other movies oh, i watch everything okay i watch everything i'm a film junkie i, thought I haven't I got, watched some films in a while though i forgot we're, we're supposed to go as dead presidents for halloween one time we were we were well this i mean we were supposed to do this particular one we did one version of this this podcast yeah. During co- the the main part of COVID, and this in person interview has been a long time coming. So, and we talk yeah. about films all day. I, I can talk about films all day, every day. You're one of the few people that know the movie Dead Presidents. It's I, such a great like, film, though. I think that there's a subsect of people who definitely um, watch that, but they're not all like you know that movie fit a certain subsect of people. It's a, definitely a subgenre in horror. It is. It's a subgenre in horror action. that people don't. It, yeah. it is. I think most people. I think most people who do watch it, they see it as an action film. Right. You know, and for me, it's a horror film. Like, there's definitely elements of horror and claustrophobia. Well, there's that element of doom, right? Yeah. Of no matter. Oh, I want to, okay, I'll do this just to be help out your friend, but then you're gonna. Yeah. yeah. It's doom at all sides. Yes. You know, yeah. and it's it's such a great movie though. But um. I love that movie. Yeah. It's a good movie. I should have won his Dead Preds for Halloween, but it's still Halloween. It's still <laughs> it would Halloween freak people. It's one, well, it's one of those. That it's I think it's a little bit obscure because if you go out there like that, people are like, "What's oh, I know that movie? What, what's that movie?" Right? Yeah. Take my coat off yeah. real quick. <laughs> but the, I would say just because we're concentrating horror movies and Halloween, that mm-hmm. you you love not just horror movies, you love all movies. Oh, I love yeah. all movies. Horror is just one of my favorite genres. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a particular group of movies that you always? Like one of your favorites that can come off your top of your head. Oh, there's so many. I know. You know. um, Do you like classics or whatever? I like everything. I remember my first introduction to really wanting to get into film. You know, at the time, all I could do was get to theater because I was a little kid when I really fell in love with it. But I remember the moment I fell in love with it. Or, I mean, there's multiple moments I fell in love with the idea of film. Um, 
I remember Betty Davis coming down in All About Eve. Oh, that's a great movie. It's one of those movies where it's not most so much the visuals, but the ears, how the dialogue, and yeah. how they just. I remember just Betty other. Davis like yeah. appearing, and I was just like, "Wow!" You know. That's a little bit of a like a cycle. I call them like like cycle things because you think you're like where we're we going, and then it kind of encapsulates like, "Oh, right." It's a, it's almost like a bookend cycle. Mm-hmm. One character upends another one, and the other one upends another one, and, the other, right? mm-hmm. and we all go back. Then we go back to where we started from. But it's great dialogue. Oh, yeah. yeah, I started I love- my love affair with film real early. Like I used to, I used to watch Bravo when I was a kid. When Bravo showed movies, yeah, and right, had yeah. like Cirque du Soleil and stuff on. Now we're dating ourselves. <laughs> Now it's dating shows yeah. and and Real Housewives, but once upon a time they had ballet, they had all these things on, and uh, both my parents are fine artists, so it was kind of being introduced to that world yeah. um, early in life. But like um, what's films? There's La Vie en Rose, which explores, which at the time was groundbreaking because it explored um, a little boy who had feelings. Well, he had feelings that in reality he was a little girl. Right. And it talks about his change I remember that. into embracing who he really was. You know, there's sequences where he's dancing with a Barbie doll. There's sequences where the film stops. Uh, he's so little, starts off, and he's in a wedding dress on his birthday. You know? Yeah. He's in, you know, he's made yeah. himself a wedding dress on his birthday. And it, that was something that I was like being young and being like, wow. And at the time, nobody was talking about that. Nobody was talking about um, trans issues. You know, and I was a kid, and it, it's now, just now that we're trying to talk about that, and I was like, damn, that film's 25 years old or something. You know, um, there's films like that. There was uh, City of Lost Children. There was City of Great. God. The City of Lost Children. It's very almost, that could be lifted almost like a comic book. It's very super, those angles, and but the dialogue mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. Well, so, Ron Perlman. Yes, it's very, very out of this world. But yeah. it's, it's one of those that's, it's, I always critique movies on two things. It's, it's memorable and un- unforgettable. And I think that movie is both. It is. Very it memorable, is. but it's also very unforgettable. They're, oh. I like, it, they're hacking kids' dreams and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. Like, it was still an awesome film, yeah. you know. It almost feels like a precursor to The Matrix. Right, yeah. In the 90s, we were talking about hackings and virtual stuff. Yeah, but, there was hackers. Yeah. There was all these what virtual question things. realities. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's always this question of what reality is, and now we're still, we're definitely still deep in the trenches of that. You know, like, now, but now we're just doing mushrooms. Like, <laughs> the film's changed. Now we're just doing mushrooms. Um, you know, uh, what dreams may, may come. Um, right. There's so many wonderful films in the world. You know, like, there's so many films where I'm like, damn, that's one of my favorite films. That's one of my favorite films. You know, there's just so many films in the world, and I kind of always knew I was going to go into film. I just didn't know how I was going to get there. Yeah, I think you and I, kind of the same thing, because I started the show, just want to meet filmmakers. Like, what? how do you do it? Yeah, how do you make films? Right. Can I make films? How can I get into films? And, like, you know, Ouroboros is the first time, not my first attempt at making a movie like this, yeah. but my first attempt... Um, <laughs> I tried to do a movie about a serial killer that only killed like female runners, you know, waited for them on the path and then about hunting him down. And I did that all by myself. You can still go see it. Okay. I edited it. I had got soundtracks and all of that. You can still go see it on the internet. Um, it's called the dead girl and it was just one person, one camera and my friends helping me out. But I love that. But you, you had the drive. To, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Rather than waiting for somebody to just knock on your door, like, you want to make a movie? You just said, I'm going to do it. I don't yeah. know how clunky it is. I don't know how it's going to be received. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. And then I, I definitely took some classes in film before I did that. I, I definitely went ahead and got some classes from the college on how to make films. Um, just a short course, because all I did was take film. I took how to make a film. That's all I took. <laughs> you know, and I've been to college before. And then for once, I was just like, I'm only taking this. Only this, you know? Um, and I feel like a lot of people get caught up on the piece of paper, and I was like, I'm there for the knowledge, homie. Right. I don't care. Like, I, I definitely have been to college, definitely got the paper, you know? And then I realized that that means nothing. It didn't give me exactly what I want. No, and I, t- I took film history and film theory in college, mm-hmm. and that still doesn't help the education of just doing it. Of making a film, you know? I right. took a, I took queer film, film class, film theory, Um 
I took any film classes I could get my hands on. It didn't matter if it was film history, film theory, film everything. I, that's all I took, yeah. you know. Um, that wasn't my first thing. When I first went to, to school, it was for acting, and then I went for business, and then I was like, I want to make films. I don't know why I keep pretending that I don't want to make films, you know. And this year was the first time I really just put my money where my mouth is. Yes. You know, before it was just like me trying to make a cheap film with my friends, you know. And then this year it was just like, okay, I got to put my money where my mouth is. All right. You know, and yeah. it started out as a present for somebody because I was just like, I think this person's a great writer um, and they deserve to have this made into a film. Yeah, I love it. So I it was think. a present to the writer. And then after a while it became, it, it kind of grew beyond that. Well, are you comfortable now calling yourself a filmmaker and writer? Yes. There, yeah. I am very comfortable calling myself a filmmaker now. Because yeah. before it just wasn't, I, 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 I was thinking the other day that I need to actually put that on my um, Facebook. You know, yeah. I, it's not official until it's Facebook official. I think it's, it's uh, right. I think it, because somebody asked me, well, can you call yourself a writer? And I go, yes. Could you do that five years ago? No, I could not. No. But now I can say I'm, I'm a writer. This is what I can do. Right. And I'm a filmmaker. This is what I can do. And I put it on my banner now. Yeah, Whereas something I did not could not do five years ago. Right? No, it was something I couldn't do up until April. Right. You know, like I had been putting the money. I put my money where my mouth is, and now I can actually say filmmaker. Oh, yes, I am a filmmaker. Something that I've been dreaming about since I was six years old. So before we go, is there some little piece of advice, little kernel that you can tell anybody, any of the listeners that are interested in doing their own independent movie? Um, you invest into the things that you want. Like, if you want it, you will stop making excuses. You know, if you want to be a filmmaker, you'll figure it out. You'll beg, borrow, or steal. You will do what you need to do to get to the point to make that. Um, You know, it it went from telling myself I can't do that to being like, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. You know, what it had to go, I had to make that full-fledged jump off the cliff. Right. And I mean, I researched it's scary. it. It's, it's scary. scary, you know, and I'm going to tell anybody like research your jump off the cliff because you got to get yourself to the point where you jump off that cliff. You got to go, okay, uh, rent to pay this month. I got to go make a movie. Um, yeah. Like Wonderful. when you want to go into this, make plan, make, make very real plans and then give yourself the time and the date where you throw it down and you just go over that cliff. I absolutely agree. One, I absolutely agree. All right, Madeline. Well, thanks for coming. Happy Halloween. Yay. Happy Halloween, guys. Um, are you going to watch scary movies tonight? I don't know. I was thinking about um, calling. It's amateur hour for people who love horror movies that they watch horror movies on Halloween. We watch yeah. it all the time. I watch yeah. my, I mean, yeah. horror movies. I listen yeah. to, uh, what is her name? Say, Bailey Sarian a lot. Like podcasts. Oh, it's a horror podcast. I didn't know about this. Okay. Yeah, she does. um, She talks about like serial killers and historical killings and the Black Plague while she does her makeup. (laughs) You know, and then I listen to that as a podcast. I Um, love that. I love that. I love it. You know, for Mm. me, it's horror every day, but I was thinking about hanging out with my favorite human and watching some horror movies, watching Treehouse of Horror. Of course. Of course. (laughs) All right. Madeline, thanks again. We'll definitely have to come back again. Oh, I love uh, it. I, I love talking about film. So this is the one place where I know that I can always come and just talk about film all day. Um, it's not over till the guests say it's over. The fat lady has sung. <laughs> I hope to see you. <laughs> it's over. Okay, okay.
Jesus me. 